and welcome to the What Do You Believe podcast, where we bring a relevant Pentecostal voice that focuses on evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and theology. My name is Jared Walker, here with Joe Wyrostek. We are the J-Dubs, not the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, happy to be joining you this afternoon. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, I'll just tell you up front, this is going to be a bit of an evangelism-heavy show, I can already tell. Um, just looking at the outline, let me give you a heads up. Uh, number one in our About Us section, we will focus on evangelism. That's just part of who we are as a church and uh, as a podcast. Uh, number two, we'll be looking at uh, a news item about Charlie Gard. I don't know if that name rings a bell. I'll get more uh, more on that in a few moments. Uh, we'll be looking at what's happening at MPI Church. A lot of that has to do with the testimonies of street evangelism, including yours truly, uh, being one to the Lord. And then we'll get into Jared's gems. That will not be evangelism related. That's always a surprise, and I'll keep it that way. And it's going to be super special when we get there. Um, then we have a word from the word from Pastor Joe. It's about fishers of men. I think you could tell where that's going. And then lastly, uh, we're going to have our Q&A. So drop questions right now, if you have, right on this post, on the page, and we'll answer those at the end of the show. So um, how was everyone's 4th of July? I trust it was exciting. I have a little, um, I don't know if you can see this in the camera, a little, little nub here on my thumb. Um, I lit something called Morning Glory, and it just shot right at there, took some skin off. Uh, I cried like a baby for a few minutes, but it's it's not so bad. Beside that, just had a lot of fun with the kids. Um, that's that's my life. I have small children, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a three-month-old. So uh, that that's life for me. Uh, every holiday, we're we're making the most of it. Uh, how was yours? You had uh, people over, right, yeah, Pastor? About uh, forty-five to fifty people over. Whoa. We had a good time. Yeah, it was a big deal. Uh, it was a lot of fun for us. We had fun. And uh, the place where I got fireworks from actually ripped me off. Jewel, man. I, I spent about almost $80 on fireworks. And you know what every single one of them were? Smoke bombs. What? Every single one of them. Dude, I wanted the kind that would go up in the air, you know, make the noise and do all this stuff. But, dude, literally it was a box, two boxes full of nothing but smoke bombs. Well, let's talk a little bit today about um, us, who we are as a podcast. What do you believe? Your relevant Pentecostal voice, uh, focusing on evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and theology. We have already hit on our name, what do you believe, and how we espouse to what's known as presuppositional apologetics, how Jesus always assumed who he was was true, and then went out afterward into the world to tell them what he knew was true, and showed them that to disbelieve in what he was saying would be to reduce the world to nonsense. And a lot of the method, a lot of the things he did for one of his methods was to ask questions, which is what we call the Socratic method. And that's why he said to Peter, who do you say that I am? He asked them at first, who do others say that I am? Then he asked them, who do you say that I am? This was a way of asking questions to get out information. And that's why uh, in our podcast here, we call it, what do you believe as a question mark, because we like to always ask you questions. And then um, the last week we talked about being Pentecostal and what that means and how in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit came upon them. It was evidence with speaking in other tongues. Uh, we showed that in Acts chapter uh, 2, verse 38, that it was for not only those that were present, for their children, and for all those who are far off, for all our Lord, our God will call. Mm -hmm. So if you are being called to salvation, you are being called to the Pentecostal experience, uh, evidence, like we said, with speaking in other tongues. And now today we're going to start with evangelism, breaking down these four attributes of the show, evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and theology. So for evangelism, uh, let's go here to Mark chapter 16, verse 9. Mark chapter 16, verse 9. And you'll see that this is a highlighted portion of Scripture. And that is because in most modern translations, they consider it to be uh, not reliable to the original manuscripts. But we hold to it uh, because we may side somewhere along the lines of the ecclesiastical text as opposed to always going with the uh, eclectic text when we talk about uh, textual criticism. 
the eclectic text uh, basically believes that the oldest manuscripts are the best. The ecclesiastical text, those who uh, hold to this position believe that what the church has preserved the most of is the best. Now, we're not King James only, but uh, we do believe that the Textus Receptus and the Byzantine manuscripts hold true to what the church believes. So I would say this was either sovereignly wrote by Mark originally or sovereignly added by a, a person that knew Mark or Mark himself at a different time, but it is still to be considered scripture. And that, that, that can go into a whole nother discussion, but that's personally what I believe. What do you believe about textual criticism is a whole nother one, whole nother discussion. But here it is, verse nine, Mark chapter 16, verse nine. So we believe this is scripture, okay? When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And so really what these women are doing is preaching the gospel and doing what they're supposed to do, and the 11 actually didn't believe. And now he says to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will not, uh, whoever does not believe will be condemned. If you notice here, the believing and baptizing attributes towards salvation, but the only thing that attributes towards not being saved or being condemned is unbelief. That is key whenever you run into people who believe that you have to be baptized to be saved, because that would mean if I wasn't baptized, I would not be saved. But it leaves out in that verse the lack of baptism. The only thing that results in condemnation is the lack of belief, not lack of baptism. But all those who believe and are baptized do so because they are saved. Uh, they get baptized because they are saved. So it's not believe and baptize equal salvation. It's believe only equal salvation, but the saved get baptized. That's another thing to differentiate, uh, especially when we get confused with the oneness Pentecostals who deny the Trinity and then believe that you have to speak in tongues and be baptized in Jesus' name only to be saved. We believe in the Trinitarian baptism because we believe in the Trinity. Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 28 is the Great Commission, which is the mission for the church to make disciples, baptizing them in the singular name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is not the name of the Father. The name there stands for the authority of the Trinitarian God nature or Godhead. And I actually believe that's a reference to Yahweh, the Old Testament name for God, the one name Yahweh of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not three Yahwehs, but one Yahweh and three distinct persons. So the gospel needs to be preached. These signs will follow. Don't even have time. Well, let me just read it since we're Pentecostal. Yes. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it not, will not hurt them at all. And they will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. Uh, the middle part seems a little bit strange, the, the handling of snakes and drinking poison, but we don't believe we should go into the Appalachian Mountains and do this over uh, loud music. But this is the promise of being uh, um, unable uh, to be killed. What's that uh, preserved, word? Preserved. Protected. No, what's that other word? Um, Invulnerable? No, very close. Indestructible. We're, un, we're indestructible. We're not able to die until Christ says that we can die. Thank you, my brother. Yes. But here's the key as well that I wanted to show you. Sandwiched in here in verses 15 and 16, talking about preaching, um, uh, you know, and then 17 and 18 being the signs, and then 19 and 20 talking about them doing it. So you can look at 15 and 16 as the bun, um, 17 and 18 being the meat, and 19 and 20 being the bottom bun of a Holy Ghost sandwich here. And it says, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven. He sat down at the right hand of God. Then the disciples, notice who's going out to preach. The disciples went out and preached where? Everywhere. Where they preach? Everywhere. Where? Everywhere. <laughs> so where? Everywhere. So this is why evangelism has to be important to us. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. 
Are demons still being cast out in Jesus' name? Yes. Are tongues still being spoken? Yes. Are people indestructible? Indestructible Amen. was the word. Yes. Until it's time, we're indestructible. And are we still seeing the sick healed? Absolutely. Uh, Craig Keener talks about this in his work on miracles. Uh, Dr. Craig Keener, which uh, we'll like to get him on here pretty soon. He's already committed to being with us. But uh, over 300 million people around the world that that six, uh, 600 million probably Pentecostals and believers, as as we believe, and that's the fastest growing, fastest growing segment of Christians around the world, and half of them have reported miracles, and we have seen them as well. So it's still happening. God is on the move. And this podcast is going to do this. We're going to not only equip you to do evangelism everywhere, we're going to show you what it looks like, what works, maybe what doesn't work. And those methods may come and go, but uh, we're going to show you that it's beyond the method. It's the practice that will make perfect. So yes, we've tried things and they haven't worked. Maybe we can pass that on to you, encourage you to do the same things that we see working in this culture right now. But even beyond the methods, we're going to keep practicing the preaching. We're going to be gospel-centered in all that we do. And this podcast may go as well to the lost people and win them to the Lord. But our first and primary focus is that we can equip you, the believer, to be a disciple that preaches the gospel. That's a passion of ours. That's why uh, we, we started Chicago for Jesus here. We, we wear this shirt. And, uh, you know, we want to be examples of gospel preachers. And it says in, in Timothy, Paul said to him, do the work of an evangelist. And that's a conviction to all pastors is, are you doing the work of an evangelist? Are all ministers doing the work of an evangelist? You may not have the fivefold ministry gifting of an evangelist, but are you doing the work of an evangelist? And as, and here the question, I'm going to hand this back over to Jared here. So that's my first question to you is, are you doing the work of an evangelist if you're in uh, the fivefold ministry or serving in a church? And then as a believer, are you following the pattern of the disciples doing evangelism, and we're going to talk more about that as the show goes on. But, uh, Jared, what do you think about that? Well, I think that, you know, regardless of where you stand on uh, Mark 16, uh, it's inescapable that we are all commanded to preach the gospel. Um, Every great commission text, which includes Mark 16, but is also Matthew 28, Luke 24, uh, arguably John, John 21 has a form of the great commission, and then Acts chapter 1, uh, which, which to me is a key verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, that says that we would be Jesus's witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so uh, last I checked, the ends of the earth have not yet been evangelized. So this is, this is vital to the function of the church. This is one of the reasons the church exists. So if a church um, uh, is planted in a neighborhood or somewhere and there's no evangelism in their program whatsoever, it's, it's, it's really troubling and, and and unbiblical. Let me just throw this question out here. Um, what do you believe evangelism is? What do you believe evangelism is? Because we talk about it, um, but there's a lot of different ideas and definitions of it. It can look like having a VBS and trying to invite the whole neighborhood. It can look like having uh, a clown and, and, a, and a, what do you call that when you dunk somebody, the dunk, dunk tank. Yeah, and yeah, just doing the whole nine to get the community to come and having a speaker. There are so many things the church will do, but I'll just tell you what we believe. We believe evangelism is this, opening your mouth and telling the lost people the gospel message. That's what it is. Nothing more, nothing less. So what do you believe it is? We're ready for in the news. All right. So we've had um, a news story that's been pretty controversial. It's, it's gone around the world. It's all over social media. Uh, there's an 11-month-old boy in Britain named Charlie Gard. And last year, he was diagnosed with a rare genetic condition called mitochondrial depletion syndrome, which causes progressive muscle weakness and brain damage. He cannot move his limbs or breathe without assistance. So long story short, he has a very rare and terminal disease. And uh, most the doctors at the hospital where he's at in London are saying, really, there's no hope for him. There's nothing that can be done. It's so rare. There's nothing that can be done to improve or extend his life. And they're basically saying, let's pull the plug. Let's have him die with dignity. Well, uh, Charlie's parents have objected to this. They have found out about a treatment made available in America that 
could help him, not not will, but could help him. Is it's an option, and have raised over one point six million dollars on GoFundMe so that they can take him to America for this treatment. The problem is the hospital will not let him go. So they go to the court and the court sides with the hospital. And um, this is uh, what they had to say. On May 2nd, the couple took their fight to the court of appeal, asking judges not to take away their only remaining hope. However, on May 25th, three court of appeal judges upheld the high court ruling Britain's Supreme Court then agreed to review the case, but ruled that Charlie's life support must be switched off. Charlie's parents took the case to the European Court of Human Rights, but on June 27th, the ECHR ruled that, in agreement with the domestic court's ruling, undergoing experimental treatment with no prospect of success would offer guard no benefit and would continue to, to do him significant harm. Um, in a statement acquired by the Guardian, the ECHR declared the decision as final. So uh, this has uh, been set in stone by the court that they will pull the plug inevitably on Charlie Gard. Even President Donald Trump has voiced his support that if brought to the states, they would do whatever they could to preserve his life. Um, but the hospital and now the court has made this ruling against the uh, parents' wishes. Here's some things we need to look at from a Christian worldview. I know there's a lot of opinions about this in, in any story that's going on, but let's try to look at this biblically. Uh, the first thing is, is compassion. We should have compassion. Uh, we see a little child who is made in God's image suffering. We see his parents suffering, watching their child suffer. We see them uh, with an injustice because they are being denied their parental rights. And this should move us to compassion. This should move us to prayer. Um, I think oftentimes whenever a tragedy sparks or some major news story sparks, we often just use it to promote our narrative. So, you know, like, let's say there's a mass shooting. Well, the left will be on, they'll be on the attack saying, oh, we need, we need gun control. We need gun control. Um, and then the right, I mean, you know, and, and I lean right in many ways, but even the right, they can do that if, instead of just first looking at it. Hey, people died. People made in the image of God died. There is suffering. There is pain. There is grief. We are told to uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. But Jesus did sometimes take tragedies to teach lessons. In Luke 13, he was asked about some Galileans who were uh, massacred by Pilate. And Jesus' response to them was not the winsome, like, let me sit down and have a coffee chat with you. He actually told them uh, to repent or perish. He made a point from the tragedy. And there's some things we need to look at uh, as well. So there's compassion. That's the first thing. The second thing is that medicine is good um, in, in centuries past. Um, there was, there was sky-high infant mortality rate, so it's a, just a blessing. We consider it a blessing that a child like uh, Charlie even has access with such a rare condition to something that can save his life. Let me get through these, though, uh, kind of quickly. Number one, th these are the big things. Number one, parental rights are infringed upon. The hospital, now backed by the highest court in Europe, is not allowing Charlie's parents to choose what could possibly preserve his life, but are forcing them to watch him die in a hospital bed. The hospital and, and the state, in defiance to Charlie's parents, have determined it is in Charlie's best interest to die with dignity. And so we're asking who gets to determine what the child's best interests are. Is it a, is it a panel is it the state? Is it a medical professional? Or is it the parents? Now, I understand there are times when parents endanger and abuse their children, and thus they get their parental rights revoked. But these parents are actually trying to preserve their child's life while the state and the hospital say, no, we believe your child is basically better off dead, uh, and, and they're making that call. The second thing, and uh, we linked Matt Walsh's article on this, and he points out that, th that this is basically socialized medicine. Now, am I making a, taking a shot at Obamacare? Well, uh, let if, if the shoe fits, wear it. But the point is, if you give the government the responsibility to control health care, that that's just what they're going to do. They're going to make health care decisions on behalf of the people. Um, 
And that's power I would not want to invest in the government. I'm sorry. You want them to be compassionate. You want them to be your mama and your daddy. You want them to be to, to be your big brother, to feed you, to clothe you, and do all that. But when you trust them with so much, they're going to have that much more power over you, and we see it here. This is where we hear things like death panels, when somebody's terminally ill and, and there's a panel that decides, oh, should we pull the plug? What panel gets to decide that? Um, further, as Christians, I object to socialized medicine and socialism in general based on Romans 13. And to make a long story short, Romans 13 teaches that the role of government is as God's servant to dole out justice, to punish the wrong and protect the innocent. And so uh, health care, all these things simply goes beyond that. And this is where my beef with socialism is is socialism is the idol, uh, rather the state is the idol of socialism. Socialism proposes that the government will solve all of your problems, give them all your the power, invest all your trust in them, they solve all your problems. Uh, one last point quickly, obviously here, the image of God is being trampled upon in this case. Abortion, euthanasia, which is Big in Europe, this is where you put down depressed people, alcoholics, anybody with a terminal illness can be killed um, for those reasons. Eugenics, where population is controlled by race, and genocide all have this in common. It is that sinful people get to decide what is life, what is human, who gets to live, and who deserves to die. And it is often predicated on how smart, how fit, and how useful the person is. And we are seeing this. Uh, this is evolution. This is Charlie Gard is not fit. Charlie Gard is weak. Yeah. Might makes right. Survival of the fittest. Boom. And this applies across the board to the elderly, mentally unstable, drug addicts. I work with drug addicts. Um, they are not just broken down animals. They all bear the image of God. So uh, what do you think of that? I mean, that's awesome. And I think the question that we need to ask ourselves right here is, what would you do if that was your baby? You know, what would you do if that was your situation that you were in? Would you do everything you possibly could to see the baby be saved? I mean, that should not be in the role of the government. The government should not be in the role of deciding who lives and who dies. Let God be the decider of that. And adults can put these things in their wills or share them with their, their siblings or, uh, I mean, uh, their wives, spouses, rather, uh, with their family. So for me, if I'm ever in an accident and I have to be held on life support, my wife knows she can take it off and not have any condo bondo, right? But this is not that decision. The decision here is being made by the parents to have the child to live. And the child could possibly live if they had the right uh, opportunity to get them around the right people and they're willing to do it. And God forbid that you should try to stop them to do it. But that's the world that we live in. And yeah. by the way, that's why we're not English. We're not British. Come we on. beat them. We, beat them. We, we won. And this is America. And Come we're not on. doing that stuff here. We're not doing that stuff here. So be careful with what you wish for when it comes to socialism. There's a reason why people left Cuba on boats and would rather die swimming or on that boat than to stay in Cuba anymore. There's a reason why we get more people from all of those nations coming to us. And then now these little experiments they're doing in Sweden and all that. Listen to me, my friends, if you want to compare us to Sweden. If it wasn't for God-blessed America, Sweden, Sweden would be wearing swastikas right now. So I don't want to hear about what some country of 10 million did and how impressive that is with Michael Moore or whatever. Guys, America has to uphold not only our nation, but peace around the world, lest the world go back to hell in a handbasket. And if you don't understand that study history, World War I and World War II, just to name a few. Well, let's keep on going. Remember that we got Q&A at the last segment here for our last 10 minutes, which will be from uh, 5.20 to 5.30, where uh, What Do You Believe? Your relevant Pentecostal voice podcast focusing on evangelism, discipleship, apologetics and theology you can always stay up to date with us here on our facebook page at what do you believe or you can find us at what do you believe tv.com also you can get our podcast and that's starting to increase now got about 60 podcast listeners last week 50 the week before 
Uh, you can go to Metro Praise International on iTunes or at any app store and download our app or subscribe to us on iTunes. So make sure you guys stay in touch with us. What I'd like to do right now is share a little bit about what's going on at the church, Metro Praise International. Uh, this is what we believe God has called us to do and the pastor people here. Well, I want to share with you some of the fruit of evangelism. And uh, what's going on with this is just amazing. And I haven't put together yet a video that can share all the recent fruit. But here's a video from a little bit over a year ago that shares the fruit of what God did through our evangelism up until that point, which is some of the people in one of our services. So after one of our services, I had preached on evangelism. I said, let me get some of these folks in here to testify, because I just started going one at a time while I was preaching. I was like, you, you got saved. Come on up here from the street evangelism, you know. And uh, I just said afterwards, I said, why don't you guys all come out back and we'll make a quick video. Jared's actually in that video because he was one to the Lord through, the, through street evangelism. So I want to show you this and then talk to you a little bit about what God's doing in our ministry. So check this out. All right, what's up, everybody? We are live right now, and I got five testimonies to share with you about personal evangelism. Today's message is on the spiritual discipline of public evangelism and being led of the Lord after the first service. I brought these brothers and sisters up on stage to tell their testimonies, but I said, you know what? I've got to get this legit so that everybody can see it. It's an official record, and then I can play it for second service. So they are going to start off and tell their testimonies. Right now, we're going to start with Jared. Go ahead, brother. How you doing? Um, I first heard about Jesus walking in this very neighborhood. I lived three blocks away. I was walking down Long Avenue to the store, and some teenagers from the youth group walk up to me. I don't know them. They don't know me. And they tell me about Jesus. To make a long story short, Jesus became so real to me in the course of a weekend. I got saved wonderfully. That was nine awesome, years now. Awesome, awesome. Come on, Jared Bear, nice and loud, please. Yes, um, I was afternoon drinking at a bar, went out to feed the meter, found a flyer for the church on the ground, picked it up, said, this looks like a Christian church, put it in my car, went to the grand opening, and then three weeks after that, gave my heart to Jesus and became a pastor. Woo! Represent <laughs> Chicago for Jesus. Come on, David. Hello, everyone. I was with my family at Portage Park. We were coming out of the uh, swimming pool. We had just finished swimming when we got evangelized by two of the great leaders at Metro Praise. Uh, they spoke to me, they spoke to my wife, we came to the church, and ever since, God has done wonderful things in our lives, so Jesus is good, and uh, believe when somebody comes and talks to you about Jesus, give them the time. Amen, and brother, you guys have been going out to the gang ministry, which is so yes, awesome. And by the way, Jared led our evangelism, he's now an SGM professor with a master's degree. Jared Bear is a pastor, like you said, with a Bible college degree. Him and his wife work with our children and preach on the streets still to this day. Yes, Wednesday sir. before Amen. kids ministry and Thursday with the gangs. And here's an SGM college, Bible college graduate and, and leader of our evangelism Chicago for Jesus movement. And how did you first hear about it, Rudy? Well, I was driving to my friend's new apartment in the city, opened my car door, there's a flyer right there it says M metro praise international church grand opening my friend picks up the flyer she's excited anyways we go a couple months later i go to this church service my life gets rocked by the presence of god alone and i'm like i want more of jesus if i didn't have jesus before i grew up catholic and now i'm a full uh, on fire believer for jesus lead our evangelism because i believe in the movement of god and god is good amen think about that two flyers found on the floor so everything matters when you go out preaching the gospel will not return void samantha uh, samantha that's your daughter's name but christina awesome mama right here here, heard about Jesus, became a Bible college student, soon to graduate, and now she's involved in the ministry. Tell us how you first heard about us. Well, actually, Samantha, I was going to pick up my daughter, Samantha. I was a single wow. mom, and I was on North Avenue and um, California near for Boricua Fest. Um, I wasn't there for the festival, but the I was at the bus. Festival. I was yep. at the bus stop, and I saw all these people, and I'm like, what are these people here doing? Apparently, they were telling people about Jesus, and Come I on. met a woman, Griselda, at the church. She told me about Jesus. She gave me a Bible with me, and I just never felt like the love of God like that I went there to the church and literally I had a lot of false ideas the pastor stayed with me until after the church closed hours showing me how Jesus Christ was Lord how Jesus is the Son of God and just really sharing that love with me and God changed my life forever now years later I'm still here serving God doing it for Jesus amen amen wow. look at all these wonderful testimonies when I say Chicago, you say for Jesus. Chicago. For Jesus. Chicago. For Jesus. When I say Chicago, you. 
Amen. Amen. That is so awesome what God did in our church, just in those people's lives. And David uh, there, the man wearing all black, he said it was his whole family now that's serving the Lord. And I can testify to this because uh, their two boys come to the children's program, him and his wife serve in the ministry. And then his oldest son, who he had from a previous relationship, now comes to church with his wife. His wife is now serving the Lord. I mean, a generational blessing has come upon them. And so Metro Praise International, listen to what we are known for. We are known for, as a church, winning souls and making disciples. Should you really be known for anything else? I mean, I don't want to say that to seem prideful because there's other churches out there doing it, but aren't you kind of tired of hearing about church, but not hearing about soul winning and evangelism and discipleship? What are we doing, guys? We've got paid conferences. We've got book sales. We've got all of these things, things that even 50 years ago, our families never had. And yet our communities were way more Christian than they are now. Now we are seeing the degradation of all of our communities And you know what? The church is retreating and having more conferences and selling more books. Come on. God did not make us to go to conferences and to be fanboys of famous preachers on Facebook. I'm not here to be a fanboy of the preachers out there. Now, listen, I am a preacher. I'm a good preacher. I say that because of God's grace. I know what he enabled me to do. Jared's a wonderful preacher. But we don't want you following us just to make us your, uh, your idol or your superstar. Follow. Follow us as we follow Jesus to the streets. And is it continuing even to this day? You better believe it's still continuing even to this day. Look at this shot right here of these young people who just went out two weeks ago on their own. Our church, Metro Praise International, has 10 outreaches a week you can be a part of. Uh, The major one is on Saturday nights that they meet here at the church at five and have training and will train up anybody from another church how to do it. But I want you to think about this. This is on top of all of that. This is a Sunday night one where there was no even scheduled outreach. These young adults go out on their own and start preaching the gospel where in Boys Town, known for the strong homosexuality and lesbian community out there, they go right out there and start preaching about 20 of them. Now, you may look at them and you may say, well, they're all young adults, but there's a professional person in your college graduated person. There are people in here that are movers and shakers in the world, and that shouldn't even matter to us. But I'm telling you, if young people do it, we should, if, if young people obey God's commands and nobody else are, we should be inspired by them to do it. But listen, these are not as young as people as you think. I have people in my church that are police officers, nurses, all of these and uh, these kind of careers, you know, general contractors and uh, plumbers. And, uh, you know, I'm talking uh, union plumbers and they all preach. And it doesn't matter if we're all young adults, if we're all under 50. God didn't say for me to go start a church in a nursing home. So listen to me. Be inspired by what God is doing at Metro Praise International to go out and win souls. I don't care if you're college educated. Don't be a classist. Don't think you're better than other people. Go out and preach in your community to the people around you. I don't care how old you are. Don't be an ageist. Start preaching the gospel whether you're five or you're 75. My 70-year-old parents are preaching the gospel weekly in Ocala, Ocala, Florida. They didn't retire. They refired. They started Ocala for Jesus, baby. Come on. And I don't care what race you are, because you're the human race, but whatever culture you identify as, go win the cultures of the world to the Lord. Look at all these multicultural young people right here preaching the gospel. That's what's up in church. That should be our testimony. Not just how many people I had on Sunday, not how great my message is or how big my offering is. You're hearing this from a pastor in my office right now, people. I'm telling you, I'm not living for that. I'm living for me and this brother out here to go win us some more souls today before the king's kids ministry amen and and yeah we're going out evangelizing right after this so we're going to be right outside the front door of our church as has been the practice for as as long as this has been a church Um, and pastor joe has actually set the standard the reason they go out to boys town is because pastor joe went out to boys town way back in the day 2005 when he started the church when i came here in 2007 who was out there leading the charge? It was Pastor Joe. It was a it was a smaller group. It was a di- way different group back then. But he led the charge. He set the example, and so that's that's something that pastors have to do to set the culture of their church. My question now, based on that, do you believe it is the duty of every Christian to evangelize? 
That's the question. Or is it a special calling for Billy Graham? Do you believe, Christian, whether you are the butcher, the baker, or the candlestick maker, that you are to win lost souls and, and make disciples? Now, does that mean standing on a corner and yelling at people? No, if that's how you perceive it, I think you have it way wrong. We do stand on corners, but that's not the only way. But are you winning souls in your daily life, the people you know, the people around you? And is your church making opportunities for you to go out and evangelize and learn how to share your faith better? Well, that's it for um, for our uh, what's going on at MPI. Uh, we're always preaching the gospel every Saturday, 10 times a week um, at different times. We're out there. Let's let's get on to uh, Jared's. Yeah, I'm sorry, I just laugh. We were so preaching, and then we go to Jared's gym. We have to chill. We have to slow it down. <laughs> yes, I got us fired up. I'm so sorry. Yeah, take a oh, I love that. That's why we made this podcast. We want that to come out. We, yes, absolutely. No, I'm I'm with you. I wanted to I wanted to keep that going. Just got to slow it down slightly because this this is not necessarily evangelism related. Um, I've been uh, teaching at Teen Challenge, which is a Christian uh, drug ministry, drug rehab ministry. Um, And the curriculum I have has me spending a whole two weeks introducing the Bible to these guys. Now, I'm dealing with folks from all different walks of life. A lot of them actually have grown up in church, but some people have zero familiarity with the Bible. So what do you do with someone who does not know what the Bible's about? Um, if, if you're like me, okay, before I was a Christian, I was not a Christian. And I would attempt to pick up the Bible. I would understand, hmm, this is a big, important book. God wrote this, and I should read it. So what do I do? I open the book to page one to Genesis, and I intend to read all the way through to Revelation. For me, uh, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was Genesis 9 about when Noah got drunk and naked. It just threw me way off. Like, okay, I know about the garden. I know about the flood. But this is just way out of left field. Most people start well-intentioned. I'm going to read the whole Bible. And they fall off. If not in Genesis, then maybe in Exodus when you get to the tabernacle maybe in Leviticus when you get to dietary laws and things like that, maybe in Numbers when you get to these long census reports. Uh, Somewhere along the line, people are going to say, what in the world am I reading? Where is this going? What's the point? So here's, here's what I want to encourage folks with, how to read and understand the whole Bible. I think it's crucial for anyone to read the Bible to understand what, what we call the big picture or the meta narrative, the the epic story that unfolds from Genesis uh, to Revelation. And then when you do read specific parts, you would understand how it falls into that. Well, one of the outlines that you could use, and I learned this from you, Pastor, in, um, in the missions class we took a long time ago, is the divine drama in seven acts. So when you think of an act, you think of theater. I got this Revy, um, Let's think of it this way. What's your favorite show? How many seasons are in your favorite show? Okay, so your favorite show breaks down to seasons. Seasons break down to episodes. Episodes break down to scenes. If you just watch, let's say your favorite show is uh, 24, and you're in season three, episode five. You just pop it in, season three, episode five. And you're like, okay, what's going on? Apparently, it's like 2 p.m., 2.28 p.m., and Jack yeah. Bauer's, what's Jack Bauer doing? Why is he doing it? He's torturing somebody. Right, he's torturing somebody. <laughs> Why is he torturing him? Who is this guy? Why is this guy getting beat and choked with a lamp stand? Right? Yeah. Well, he did. Be, he's getting beat and choked with a lamp stand because he, he done messed up in season two. Yes. And you don't know that. Because you weren't watching season two. You just jumped right in the middle of season three, and it was building off the first two seasons. And then there's the everything else that comes after that. It's, so what are we saying? Context is important. I hope that helps you think of that when you're reading the Bible. When you jump into the book of Matthew, for example, chapter one, verse one, it says, Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
You got to know who Abraham was. That was a previous season. You got to know who David was. That was a previous season. So if you think of the Bible in seven acts or seven seasons, that'll help you out. I'll go through these quickly. Number one, uh, you have act one, the creation and the fall. This is basically of how uh, God created the world. God created man in his image, gave man dominion, man fell, man became sinful and how they eventually came under judgment and were scattered among the nation. It culminates in the, in the Tower of Babel. Act 2 is the calling and gathering of a people through Abraham. This is Genesis 12 through 50. This is God saying, I'm going to redeem the planet, and I'm going to start with Abraham. And Abraham is known as the man of faith. And so the rest of Genesis follows Abraham and his family as they grow into a great nation. Act 3, rescuing and separating a people. This covers a large chunk of the Bible that begins with Exodus, where, where Israel are slaves in Egypt, and then takes it all the way to what's called the Babylonian exile in 586. We don't have time to get into that. As a matter of fact, I just want to whet your appetite, so I'll go through these quickly. Act 4, maintaining God's holiness. After exile, the Jews learn some hard lessons about God and get new insights about his character. Act 5, saving a people. This is about Jesus, the Messiah, who comes to, to save the world. Act 6, gathering a people, which is the church. That's the book of Acts through all the epistles, uh, all the way to Jude. And so that's the mission of the church, to preach the gospel and make disciples of the whole world, of all nations. And then Act 7, renewing all creation, the consummation, when God comes in and sets things finally and ultimately in order. So here's my recommendations. That's just to whet your appetite, to understand, hey, there is a big picture. This is going somewhere. Number one, commit to learning the big story of the Bible. Number two, commit to reading whole books of the Bible and find out what you're reading and how it fits into the big picture. And then number three, uh, commit to reading the whole Bible and see all scripture as God breathed and useful. Some Christians completely disregard the Old Testament. Friend, you, the, all scripture is God breathed and useful. God has nuggies and revies for you in Leviticus, if you're willing to learn what it's about and open it. And uh, so, so that's my word. What, what do you believe about that? I love that. I love the act principle of learning the different books of the Bible because, or the, con combining the books of the Bible into one story, because like what you said with uh, Jack Bauer, it ties it all together and people can get a good insight on how to do that. And I think that ties right back into evangelism, because if people know how to do this, they're going to be able to share the story of the Bible quite simply, yes. you know? And uh, there's even simpler ways to do it. But Jared gave you a great place to start. And like he said, he got that from the class that I was teaching. Another way to do it is you have the fall, redemption, and then uh, the coming age. You know, really just three things. You know, you can break it down into seven, eight, ten, three. It doesn't matter. As long as you see the big picture for what's going on and you go through the Bible and you look at this. You know, is this before or after Jesus? Okay. And then how do I apply this to my life? So the question is, are you reading your Bible? Do you understand it? Uh, do you know how to share the Bible in a, in a summarized way with people you're evangelizing? Which basically brings us to the word today from the word, which is fishers of men tied right into evangelism. I'm going to read it from our devotional that we're putting out this month. It's on discipleship. So I want to encourage you guys to subscribe to our app. And follow along with the devotions that come out every day. Metro Praise International, you can find the app. And uh, you can follow me on my personal Facebook page with the devotionals. I release them there every day. But uh, what I want to talk about is being a fisher of men. Because this is not a great suggestion. This is the great commission. Come on. God wants everybody to do this. And so if you say, I am called to serve Jesus, but not called to go out and preach, you haven't met the right Jesus yet. And we're here to help you meet him. The real Jesus calls people to fish for the lost. And you've got to get comfortable with that if some of you are shy, and this is not naturally a gift of yours, which for me, I have the gift of gab. Jared has the gift of gab. That's okay if it's not a natural gift, because you know what? Patience is not a natural gift for me. 
Some people talk like the sloth in Zootopia. I don't know if anybody's seen that, but we got children. Have yes. you had to watch Zootopia with your kids yet? Like 50 times. Yeah, yeah. we've watched it so much because it's on Netflix now and everything. And when they go to this DNV and the sloth is there, the sloth talks so slow and does everything slow. That's not me. So some of you may have the gift of patience naturally. All of us in some way, if you look at it since the fall, have retained some of the image of God in one way or another. But in other places, we're missing that image of God. Some of us have the image of God, and we can sing, because I believe that was perfect. Uh, the perfect man had perfect pitch, but uh, neither my brother here and I have perfect pitch. At oh, least sir. I can get on rhythm. No. If you ever watch Jerry clap in church, you might feel sorry for him a little bit, but he tries. He makes a joyful noise. Joyful noise. But uh, let me just read this, Matthew 4.19, about being fishers of men. Jesus said to the first disciples that uh, were uh, called to serve him, they were two sets of brothers. They were fishermen, James and John and Andrew and Peter. Here's what he said to those brothers. Come, follow me, he said, and I will send you out to fish for people. The first four disciples of Jesus were two sets of brothers who were fishermen. Jesus had met them when he was teaching by the Sea of Galilee. And that passage reminds us that in the same breath, that he called them to follow him and be saved. He called them to go and see souls saved. Immediately they left their nets and their boats and they followed Jesus. What amazing commitment they demonstrate for us. He made a direct comparison, think about that, to their fishing occupation, to what he was going to do with them in the ministry. They were going to work hard at catching the lost as they once had worked hard for catching fish. They were going to be trained the same way they once were trained by their father to know the weather patterns, to how to safely navigate a boat, to know where the fish, is, the fish are, know the patterns of their, their habitation, to properly cast a net, to clean the fish and bring them to market. Now they were going to be about the father's business, yes. heavenly father, and be trained by Jesus how to know the patterns of when to preach and where to preach, how to know how to present the the gospel, to cast out the net, how to safely navigate the church and to build that church so the gates of hell will not prevail, and how to make disciples out of those lost souls that can be brought forth as a harvest to the kingdom and the kingdom to come. Now, Jesus himself was trained by an earthly father how to be a carpenter, but his heavenly father taught him the kingdom business, which was making disciples, and that was Jesus's business, and his, his business was good. Now, he didn't pick, Jesus did not pick the rabbis and the scholars of the Jewish religion on purpose. He, taught, he chose to teach rugged fishermen, because as we find out later in the Gospels, it was these Jewish scholars and these know-it-alls that caused him the most trouble. He wanted hardworking men who were familiar with mentorship and who could be taught something new. You have to be willing to be taught to teach others. The disciple must be taught to go into the world to teach others everything Jesus commanded. That's found in the Great Commission, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Well, how can you teach somebody something you have not been taught? He took these men under his wing. Three and a half years, he poured his life into them. We know that Peter at one point denied him three times and went back to fishing for natural fish. But we see that Jesus, the true fisherman who loves even the lost sheep, the one lost sheep, went after Peter, restored him three times in love for the three times he denied him and set him forth as a pillar in the church. And who was it on the day of Pentecost, the day the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church? In Acts chapter 2, that was the first gospel preacher yes. and soul winner who was the first one, in other words, to throw out their net. And on behalf of their father's business, just like Jesus had done, it was Peter, that same man that was called to be a fisher of man, a men, that day on the side of the seashore side of Galilee. Do you fish for people? Are you a fisher of men? Do you believe in the calling that all disciples are to make disciples? You can get discouraged in the church by seeing people who don't want to do these kinds of things. Well, go out and make new disciples. You say, I don't have enough friends in the church. Go win souls and make new friends. You say, I don't see enough African-Americans in the church. 
Go to where the African-Americans are and win them to the Lord. You say, I don't see enough people in their 50s and senior saints here. Go win them in the nursing homes or wherever they're at. You say, I don't see enough young families here. Go to the grocery stores and win the young families to the Lord. You say, I don't see enough hipsters here. Go downtown or wherever your hipsters hang out at the parks and go win a tight pant wearing young person for Jesus. There's not enough Muslim converts here. Go to where the Muslim community is. There's not enough here that can relate to my testimony. Go to a, uh, you know, go to one of these concerts out here and witness in front of them or a gay community. My friends, we have not because we ask not. If you want more people in the church, go win them. Stop complaining about the cliques that are there. Go win new cliques to the Lord and start a new way of doing it. We can tear down the walls of whatever is bad in the church with the new souls and disciples that we make, and we can inspire those who have been sitting on their holy backside being the frozen chosen to get up and live for Jesus. Because it's when we put the gospel first, because Jesus said, you have to forsake your life for me and the gospel. That's what he told his disciples, not just for Jesus, it's for Jesus and the gospel. And you see that with with, uh, the disciples there in in the shores of Galilee. They had to leave and follow Jesus to be saved and believe that once being saved, they would do good works of soul winning. And it's those good works of soul winning that will encourage your heart. I literally believe this. The Bible says in Proverbs, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. I think of no greater way to refresh others than with the gospel. And you will see the reason why I believe the people I know that are some of the most happiest Christians, uh, content Christians, aren't necessarily the richest, the most educated. They are the ones who are about their father's business. They are the ones who are fishers of men. Pastor Jared, what do you think about that? Yeah, I have two thoughts. Uh, Thank you for sharing, speaking from the heart. Uh, First thought is, this is an obedience issue. That's right. Jesus said, be fishers of men. We covered the Great Commission earlier. This is part and parcel of being a disciple. This is something disciples do. I would dare say that evangelism should be considered a spiritual discipline just like prayer, worship, and Bible study. And so we have a lot of Christians that are good at those things. They have good Bible studies. They have good prayer times. They have amazing worship times. A lot of churches are very willing to facilitate those kinds of disciplines, but uh, you just don't see that a lot in the lives of Christians or in the life of the church as a whole. So it's an obedience issue. If you are not evangelizing as a pastor, you're not creating opportunities in your church or leading by example, in evangelism, uh, that's disobedience. If you are an individual Christian and you are saying, oh, that's not for me, that's not my calling, that is simply disobedience. It's being a half-hearted disciple. And you, you got to repent of that, to put it plainly. Second thing is, as Pastor Joe points out, there's not enough Muslim converts. There's not enough people who are same-sex attracted. I think a lot of well-meaning Christians get online and just complain about Muslims and gay people and everybody else. And it becomes this us versus them type of thing. And we just get dragged down and embroiled in these endless debates. Jesus's solution to Islam is the gospel. Jesus's solution to homosexuality, to the LGBT movement is the gospel. Instead of getting on Facebook and sharing every post you see about some gay guy forcing people to bake a cake, and I know that's that's crucial stuff, and we should fight those things in a in a constructive way. But friend, are you talk even talking to homosexuals? Do you want them to know Jesus? Are you talking to Muslims? You want to talk about every jihadi thing? You're like you you follow like uh, the, these pages and stuff. Yeah. Great jihad watching all these things. It's one thing to be you know shrewd as serpent, innocent as doves. But are you even talking to Muslims? Do you even oh. know a Muslim? Do you even want Muslims to know Jesus? Friend, go face to face with them. Talk to them. They're not scary. They don't bite. Most of them don't bite. They seriously. I've we've been to Boys Town. We've been to Devon Avenue, Rogers Park neighborhood. It's wonderful. It's a joyous experience. And when we talk to them, what I find is we are taking away the devil's lie that they believe that Christians hate them. Mm. We're taking away the devil's lie that the gospel is us holding up signs with flaming letters condemning them. 
we preach grace and truth, uh, but and we we tell them plainly what sin is. We tell them plainly about damnation and things of that nature. But when they walk away from talking to us, ninety five percent of the time they're just blown away by the grace that they have seen and the truth that they have heard. Amen. Well, let's kind of pull this back a little yes. bit. And you and I, I'll put the gain up here, and you and I may be able to just chill for a minute. So that's the only thing I don't like is that it blocks your view. You know what? If you just let's go that way a little bit. Let's there you go. Let's see if that helps. A little bit. A little bit. Okay. <laughs> well, let's see if there's any questions for our last few five uh, minutes remaining. The bottom line is today's show, as we could see, was really focused a lot on evangelism. And I can see it's blocking you right there, brother. So I'll just take it from here. But uh, okay. we'll see if we could do a group shot a little bit later. We're trying to make this as best as we can. But uh, basically what we did today was hit a lot on evangelism. We started off with uh, evangelism being a part of what we do here as a podcast. And if you're new to joining us, thank you for checking us out here live. We also have the podcast available on our church's podcast with iTunes, Metro Praise International, or at the Metro Praise International app. And what this is, is what do you believe? It's a relevant Pentecostal voice focusing on evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and theology. So we started off the show today hitting on evangelism, and we really haven't left it the whole show. We talked about uh, in the news, which is another reason why we have to win souls and make disciples, yes. is because when we look at socialism in Europe and how they're going to take this young child's life without the parent's permission, the gospel is what changes people's yes. worldviews. We put on glasses every day in how we view the world. We need to put people back onto the gospel and cross-centered worldviews. That's how our nation was established different than the monarchies of England. And you can even look at this at wallbuilders.com or on my Facebook page, the Black Robe Regiment. These preachers who were known to wear black robes during the, uh, the time of the Revolutionary War would preach about the news, about the politics from the pulpit, filtered through the Bible, and that's what inspired the soldiers to go out and fight for freedom, Amen. as well as the, the pastors themselves would go out and fight for freedom. And it was that same foundation that allowed us to abolish slavery, where slavery still exists in Africa today. Slavery still exists in Islam today. It was because a, a nation like us led the way with Europe at that point and had biblical values. Uh, the man who wrote the song Amazing Grace was a Christian abolitionist who fought for freedom, and he did that because he saw social values through the Bible. That's what we. That's why we're always going to have an in the news section here. And I'm just buying time to see if there's any questions that come up. And then I talked about the fruit of evangelism in our church, and that it's always bearing fruit. But let me ask you a question: Would you do something that God asked you to do, even if, like the prophets, you didn't see any fruit? I mean, God told Isaiah and Jeremiah, "Go out and do this," and no one even is going to listen because I've hardened their hearts because of their rebellion. They had their chance. Now the judgment is coming. But as the judgment is coming, you're going to be preaching to them the whole time. Would you still do it? Would you go to the, the marketplaces, the city wall, and, and shout it aloud, uh, you know, on top of the rooftops? Would you do that? But thankfully, we live in a time of harvest, and especially right now in places like Chicago and other places around the world, we're seeing so much fruit come from evangelism. Like our friends Troy Bond and the Raven teams in uh, in Florida, they're next to um, Daytona. Daytona Beach and in New Orleans. They're bearing fruit. We're bearing fruit. We're seeing it catch on. We're the largest we've ever been. We're the most um, influential we've ever been. We have so many things happening. I was witnessing to a Mormon the other day at Boricua Fest, and he says, I have already met your preachers on the bus. Uh, people tell me that all the time. I've already seen you guys wearing this because of how much we're out there in the community. Get out there and do it. Follow us as we follow Christ. Yes. How can you follow me if I'm just a conference speaker, right? How can you follow us if we just have a cool light show? That's something that you really can't follow. And if you do, it's not that cool according to the Bible, right? I mean, it may be cool according to the world, but not to the Bible. Follow us as we make disciples. Let's inspire each other. And then Jared gave a great gem from his time working in the drug rehab. We got to know the Bible. We got to be able to come to the Bible and understand it from start to finish. And for a lot of young believers, they get confused with it. Look at it as acts of a play. Take your time, get a good study Bible, read through it, and then share it with others. You know how you'll learn? You'll learn when you teach. When I teach a subject as a professor, I learn more in that time at teaching it than I ever had before. When you take it upon yourself to say, I want to learn the Bible, understand it, 
It's going to flow right out of you to others. Yes. And then that goes into the last word that I gave as we get ready to wrap up the show here is being fishers of men. We should take on the call of being like Jesus and winning souls for him. Let me just say this really quick. We may never walk the shores of Galilee. We may never eat with our hands like Jesus did. Uh, we may never be crucified on a tree like Jesus was. You know, uh, Sadly, many people have, and they're bringing that back even now in the Middle East. Uh, but we may never speak Hebrew or Aramaic like Jesus did. Uh, we may never be able to do those things. But you know what we can do like Jesus did? We can find the lost and go preach to them. I honestly feel that I am more like Jesus when I'm on the streets preaching than I am anywhere in my life. Jesus wasn't married, didn't have kids, so I can't identify to him that way. Jesus didn't have a pulpit, and he didn't preach inside of an air-conditioned building. Don't really identify with him that way. When I identify with, where I identify with Jesus the most, it's when we get done with this podcast, and I step out there into this community and start preaching the gospel to the strangers, to the lost, to people that need it, to, to, to those who are hurting. That's where I feel the most like Jesus. Did we get any questions? Anything that you saw? I haven't seen anything come up. Guys, keep sharing the Facebook goodies. You got us live here. What do you believe? TV.com is where we bring it all together because you got to have a website these days. I don't know why. Everybody's on Facebook anyways. But uh, hashtag WDYB. If you want to be a rock star, I don't know who wants to be a rock star. We can I'll start that little, star. we can start those hashtags. And then the app is where it's at for all things Metro Praise. And let me put in a plug for this. I'm starting a 301 class. We're known to do 101 and 201. Those are our discipleship programs here. I'm going to be doing a 301 class on presuppositional apologetics starting next Tuesday. It's only for our elders and deacons. So 101 and 201 are for the church members. And we do have those online as well. But this 301 class is going to be done like a college course. But then I'm going to post it afterward, and it's going to be on our app as well. So anyone interested in presuppositional apologetics, make sure you get the app and stick with us there. Well, guys, you have definitely been a great guest with us today, and you have heard a lot of goodies. And this is what we believe. We want to know. What what do do you believe? believe? Later, Gators. Laters.